But screw your courage to the sticking place, and will not fail. Lady Macbeth, Act 1, Scene 7 of the Scottish Play Many have heard of Macbeth, the tyrannical title character of one of Shakespeare's most famous plays. Many more are unaware that Macbeth was a real Scottish king. Shakespeare, however, was completely aware because he relied heavily on Raphael Hollinshed's History of England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Now, whether Hollinshed was accurate to history is a whole different story, but Shakespeare borrowed heavily from his works while writing the Scottish play. But just how much did Shakespeare borrow from Hollinshed? Was he quote-unquote true to the history of Macbeth? Or did he pull from a few other places? This is what we will be discussing today, and by the end of it, hopefully, we will have answered these questions and much, much more. So don your favorite kilt and let's head off to Scotland. Hello, and welcome to Breaking Bard, a Ripe Good Scholar podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, also known as Ripe Good Scholar on a tiny corner of the internet. I am joined as most times, with my husband, Eli. Hello. Who mostly does this to spend time with me and hear interesting facts about Shakespeare. That's right. So today, we're going to be talking about the source material that Shakespeare used for Macbeth. Because I think a lot of people think that Shakespeare just came up with everything out of his own head. That all his stories were, like, made up on his own. He was a genius. Exactly. But Shakespeare often used source material. Um, Not just for history plays like Julius Caesar or Henry V, and to an extent even Macbeth is a history play. But um, we'll get into in later podcasts, like, Twelfth Night and Two Gentlemen of Verona, and like they all have source material, some more loosely based than others. I think a lot of people would be um, surprised to know that Macbeth was a real Scottish king. Yeah, you don't really expect a story about witches and such to be based on a true story. Well, exactly, and and the funny thing was as I went through. Um, so I got a copy of Hollinshed's Chronicles that's called Shakespeare's Hollinshed, so it's edited to include the excerpts that are pertinent to the place. So going back to, like I said, the fact that Macbeth was a real Scottish king, and actually a lot of the witches and such are in Hollinshed's Chronicles, and we'll get into that when we get to the witch part. Question. Yes. Since Macbeth means son of Beth, is his dad named Beth? I don't know. This is a terrible chronicle. Um, <laughs> hold on. Dwada was married and... No. Well, disappointed. Continue. All right. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, kind of to set the stage of the production. So this was written for James I the, at the time, king of Scotland and England. Right. James the first slash six. Yeah. So, what's important about that is that his 
family is supposed to be descended from Banquo. Right, that's why Shakespeare includes the bit about seeing Banquo's line become kings for all eternity. Yeah. They basically had the one king of England. Yeah. Yeah. But they're kings of Scotland for a long time. There we go. So anyway, it was basically a like, hey, new king, best buddy old pal. Look, I I wrote a play where your ancestor gets murdered. Yay. But you and your family will be kings forever. Woo. (laughs) Um, So anyway, so what we're going to be focusing on for this discussion is Hollinshed's Chronicles. Mm -hmm. Um, Hollinshed is not necessarily in and of himself the most accurate of chroniclers. No? Well, he's a Tudor chronicler, so he's writing in the 1500s about stuff that happened 500 years prior. Right. And they didn't exactly have the best record keeping. No. So is that how witches got in there? Probably. Well, I don't know. I mean, they probably believed actual witches and prophecies and stuff because this is the Middle Ages. Wait, were there actually witches in the history book? In Hollinshed's Chronicles? Yeah. Yeah. We'll get there. Anyway, so first Hollinshed kind of sets the scene for the start of Duncan's reign. Okay. Um, Duncan and Macbeth are cousins. The daughters of the previous king, one had Duncan and the other had Macbeth through their marriages. So they're first cousins. Yes. Now, Duncan was kind of a a weenie king. He was a weenie? So Macbeth was known as being valiant. He was a very good warrior, but he could be very, very cruel. Hmm. And if it weren't for that cruel nature, he might have been thought a better king. Because, as Hollinshed says, on the other part, Duncan was so soft and gentle of nature that the people wished the inclination and manners of these two cousins have been, had been so tempered and interchangeably bestowed betwixt them that where the one had too much of clemency and the other cruelty, the mean virtue betwixt these two extremities might have reigned by indifferent partition in them both so they both sucked but they were sucking in the opposite way yeah so but the problem is is that duncan wasn't overseeing the king's justice basically so like he wasn't pursuing people that committed crimes against others like especially like nobles i would assume that's the kind of stuff a king would get involved with so that eventually led to a faction of noblemen rebelling um, McDowell being one of the leaders of this rebellion. To be fair, they're Scotsmen. Aren't they supposed to rebel? Well, so, I mean, Scotland rebelled against England a lot because England kept being like, this is ours now. And Scotland would be like, no, shoot. <laughs> like, That's fair. And then, in the ultimate irony, the Scottish king took over the English throne. For a while. Yes. They came back. And then the royal family. I don't... I'm bad at the royal family after the Stuarts. (laughs) Duncan is trying to quell this rebellion, so he sends Banquo to go and, like, 
sort things out. And Banquo almost gets killed. Like, barely gets out alive. So far not looking good for James' ancestor. So is this rebellion the opening battle in the play? Yeah, kind of. Um, so it was a little hard for me to follow just because I'm not great at following... Um, Dry 500-year-old accounts of history? Yeah. Banquo almost gets killed and comes back. And everybody, the, a council gets called together of the king. And they're like, we have to sort this out. And Macbeth basically rails against Duncan for being a weenie. And then says to send him and Banquo back with troops to end this. And he does. And the rebels were shortly vanquished and quite put down. According to Hollingshed. That's a fantastic way of putting it. Yeah. They were shortly vanquished and quite put down about it here. Yeah. Um. So, it all came to pass. They, they squashed the rebels. No problem. So, Macbeth comes in, um, walks up to McDowell's castle. McDowell, at this point, has realized he's lost. So, he first slew his wife and children, and lastly himself. And Dang. Beth goes in, sees this kind of slew of bodies, which, when he beheld, remitting no piece of his cruel nature with that pitiful sight, he caused the head to be cut off and set upon to pull's end. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh. And I only mention that because, like, that to me was very reminiscent of the end scene of Macbeth. In which Macduff is leading uh, Duncan's son's army and they just come upon all of this carnage. Yeah, and that does pretty much happen also. But it just, it reminded me of that a lot. So at some point in this rebellion, as this was going on, Norway got involved. As it does. As it does. So Norway pops in there and I can't do anything without Norway getting involved. I know, right? There's always up in our business. Busy bodies. <laughs> Love you, Norway. So, anyway, there's hints in the text that it's like this kind of Danish-Scottish rebellion that they're really squashing at the start of the play. Okay. Frankly, I don't see how important that comes in, but I just thought I'd throw it in there. Well, thank you for throwing it out there. Yeah. We, we got a good Norwegian joke out of it. So, now we have the entering of the witches at the start you know the before Macbeth and Banquo come in the witches are like casting their spell there's like there's a couple couplets right at the start of the scene before Macbeth comes in where um they're putting revenge on someone okay and there's some thought that um in Hollandshed a couple kings before Duncan Duff the, Duff, the King of Scots. The King is named after the Simpsons brew, beer brand? Yes, definitely that way around. I love it. So, Duff, King wait, of does, Scots. Wait, does that mean Macduff is the son of Duff? I don't know. Probably not. Aw. I mean, he might be descended from Duff. You're descended from Duff. Is his first name, is the King's first name Hillary? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Hillary Duff was king of Scotland. Continue. 
anyway, he gets bewitched. He couldn't sleep. He was had horrible sweats every night. So, and they, you know, went in and they find these witches and they're there, like, turning a likeness of the king over a fire. And it's okay. like, oh, that's why he's sweaty, obviously. Oh, so anyway, interesting. That comes back a little bit later, but, you know, just keep in mind Duff was bewitched. Gotcha. Okay, so Macbeth and Banquo are like, after battle, they come across these witches. And I'm just going to read this straight out of Holland Shed because I think that we all need to let it sink in how much Shakespeare copied Holland Shed. There met them three women in strange and wild apparel, resembling creatures of Elder World, whom, when they attentively beheld, wondering much at the sight, the first of them spake and said, All hail Macbeth, Thane of Glamis for he had lately entered into that dignity and office by the death of his father. The second of them said, Hail Macbeth, Thane of Cawdor. But the third said, All hail Macbeth, that hereafter shall be king of Scotland. Oh, so... She, he cut off Scotland at the last line. Yeah. I mean, he prettied it up a bit, yeah. made it fit a, 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 a meter, but... And they're literally called the Weird Sisters in Hollow Shed's Chronicles. Well, that doesn't surprise me. That means, like, the, the Sisters of Fate, right? Yes. So, yeah, Still. that's... <laughs> um, so he just stole from Holland Shed there. Yeah, and so then Banquo's like, oh, what? You're giving him all this awesomeness, but nothing good for your good pal Banquo? Did and, he sound like that? Was yeah, that was... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man! Can't can Banquo get a little get bit of this? Oh. <laughs> yes. So then they say, Yes, we promise greater benefits unto thee than unto him, for he shall reign indeed, but with an unlucky end. Neither shall he have any issue behind him to succeed in his place, where contrarily thou indeed shall not reign at all. But of thee, those shall be born, which shall govern the Scottish kingdom by long, long order of continual descent. Okay, so Holland Shed was buttering the king's biscuit, and... Probably not. I believe Holland Shed wrote this... During Henry VIII's reign. Okay. The first edition appeared in 1577. Okay. Regardless, before James was king. Okay, so how? So Holland Shed wrote like I think the full title is like the history of England, Ireland, and Scotland. Okay, so, so Shakespeare found a nice line that uh, he thought would butter James's biscuit. It was like, let me spread it around in some play. Yeah, exactly. But it's just funny to me because it's like, yes, historically this is like not likely how Macbeth happened at all. I mean, even even setting aside belief in prophecies. I watched a documentary a while ago that was like, no, that makes any sense. And Macbeth was actually an okay king. Okay, so we have a kind of messed up historical record right here with Hollandshed. And Shakespeare took it and said, ooh, I like that. I can make that into a play. And stole. Yeah, pretty much. Fun. Yeah. So, um, they get back, and, and, like, shortly after that, he's named Thane of Cawdor. Because of one of the rebels, I guess, had been Thane of Cawdor. He got it now. Yay! 
Yeah, that's in the play. Yeah. So, like, you know, he's like, oh, cool, maybe these sisters were right. And, but then the king's like, and then I named my son as heir to my kingdom. And Macbeth is like, hold on a minute. Those sisters told me I was going to be king. Not cool. So he killed everyone. Yes. Um, now, what's interesting in Holland shows, they do talk about Macbeth sore troubled herewith, for that he saw by this means his hope sore hindered, where by the old laws of the realm, the ordinance was that if he that if he that should succeed were not of able age to take the charge upon himself, he that was next of blood unto him should be admitted. Basically, that... Okay, so... Uh, Duncan's son wasn't old enough to be king, so it should have passed to Macbeth. Yeah. Because instead of having child kings, the Scottish way was for someone who could be king to be king. That makes no sense at all. I know, right? It worked out real great, all the all the baby kings for England. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, child kings are always such great rulers. So, you know, he thinks of that. And then, and then we get into that, uh, it, you know, his wife is really the one that pushed him to do it. Literally in the Chronicles. That's in the Chronicles, but too. But especially his wife lay sore upon him to attempt the thing as she was very ambitious, burning in unquenchable desire to bear the name of queen. Unquenchable. And unquenchable. Dang. Holland shed. Now, this is where the play deviates from the straight account of Macbeth. Because, to an extent. Because Macbeth, like, told Banquo and people that, like, I'm gonna go kill him now. Oh. And they're like, okay! (laughs) (laughs) And help name him king. That's fun. (laughs) Yeah. So if you got enough friends, you just murder the king and be king. It's kind of how it works. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Bigger army diplomacy. (laughs) More friends diplomacy. (laughs) That's what it is. It's just friendship. Friendship is magic. And murder. (laughs) Oh, My Little Pony would be such a different show. (laughs) So, instead of having just Macbeth be like, so, I should be king. Stabby, stab, stab. And everybody being like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, that's not a very intriguing murder plot. No, not at all. So we're going to pull from a different... Scottish king that killed his predecessor uh, through the setting on of his wife, obviously. Okay. None of these guys ever did it on their own. It was by, from their pushy evil wives. Scottish women are bullies. It, I'm <laughs> gonna I'm gonna say it right now. So we're back with King Duff. So after King Duff was bewitched, it basically gets found out that like, but these nobles were the ones that like got the witches too. Oh. King Duff goes to stay with his good pal Thomas Dunwald. Dunwald. Yeah. I guessed it. At his castle. And again, Dunwald has been viciously encouraged by his wife. Ah. I know, right? Darn women. Dunwald, thus being more kindled in wrath by the words of his wife, 
determined to follow her advice in the execution of so heinous an act. So he, this is where we get the plot of Dunwald and his wife. Typically, the king didn't bring his own guard to Dunwald's castle. He would just, like, use whoever was there. Yeah. So they got the guards drunk. Nice. Like happens in Macbeth. In Macbeth, so that they are really hardcore asleep. Now, Dunwald, of course, didn't do the killing himself. Future kings don't dirty their hands with that sort of stuff. His he, wife did. No, his servants did. Nice. So that he could also go and like sit on the wall with the rest of the watch and be like, I have an alibi! Um, nice. So meanwhile, his servants go and slit the king's throat and then they take his body and like bury it on the bank of a river and like cover it with rocks so that the river runs back over it. So like the body will not be found. Now, that seems odd to me because if I were going to kill a king, I would definitely want people to know that the king was dead, right? Well, th there was enough blood in the room. They were all pretty sure the king was dead. Okay. Part of the reason that he wanted to have the king buried was that there was a legend at the time that a body of a person who was murdered, if they were in the presence of the murderer, they would start to bleed again. So Dunwald couldn't have that happening, obviously. So he hides the body. Okay. So, like, oh, the, you know, alarm gets raised that something happened to the king. And Dunwald walks in and is like, what? Look at this horrible scene. It was clearly these guards. Stab, stab. Kills them. And then, like, but he makes just such a dramatic show of his grief and shock. That a lot of the other lords are like, mm. <laughs> Okay, so this is also right out of Macbeth. Yeah. But they kind of just stayed quiet and went back to their houses, because clearly he is willing to kill people. <laughs> so yeah, they're that's kinda like, fair. Okay, bye. So then, in, kind of in the same family group, we jump ahead a little bit to... Another king that was murdered because lots of murdered kings going on here in Scotland. Yeah, Scotland, geez. So Kenneth, who just has like I'm gonna the assume, most boring name of all the ones I'm gonna so far. assume it's the Thirty Rock character, but King of Scotland. Continue. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Um. So anyway, Malcolm, not Duncan's Malcolm. Malcolm was Duff's son. So gotcha. he was supposed to succeed the throne. But Kenneth wanted to be king, so Kenneth poisoned Malcolm and became king. That's such a Kenneth move. I know, right, Kenneth? Anyway, Kenneth had trouble sleeping because of the horrible act he committed. Oh, man, this does sound like a 30 Rock plot. Yeah. So he just, you know, but that's where we get the, like, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth kind of stop sleeping. Okay, yeah, so he king. smushed a bunch of mur uh, king murderings together from Scotland. 
Yeah, which apparently there was quite the plethora to choose from. Oh yeah, that's that's a real murder boutique they've got going up there. Yeah. Well, you know, family intrigue or just straight up murder. I mean, either way, it's exciting. That's fun. Coming back now in in Hollandshed to the actual Macbeth chronology. Um, Malcolm, du- uh, sorry, Duncan's sons, Malcolm, flee. Mm-hmm. Malcolm goes to England and um, his other son, whose name I can't remember. No one can because he never matters. Oh, Donald. Uh, Donald went over to Ireland. Okay. So, um, and they just stayed there to stay safe. Yeah, they come back eventually, obviously, but they flee. We also had some of the supernatural occurrences happening again, where, like, there appeared no sun by day nor moon by night, and, like, all these horrible, like, wah, scary, spooky things are happening all over the kingdom because I don't the king think, was murdered. I don't think astronomers would agree with Hollandshed. Probably not. But anyway, it is... Or was it just cloudy for a bit? I mean, it was Scotland. There we go. They, they have notoriously honest, clear sky. Honestly, Hollandshed, you can just say it was cloudy for a while. Oh, but still the sky was covered with continual clouds. There we go. <laughs> and sometimes such outrageous winds arose with lightnings and tempests that the people were in great fear of present destruction. There was also monstrous sights. You know, the, the part of Macbeth is very reminiscent of... And Julius Caesar, where they're like, you know, like, ah, it's raining fire, you know? Yeah. There's weirdness happening, and that's in the actual chronicle. Oh, there we go. That weirdness was happening in Scotland. Shed sounds super reliable. Super legit. Super. He was just ahead of his time, really, as a historian. Every every astronomer will tell you, when you murder a king, the earth stops spinning. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Fact. Clouds. Science. Clouds happen. Now, Shakespeare sped up the timeline of Macbeth, understandably, because Macbeth reigned for about 17 years. 17 years with no sun by day or moon by night? Well, I don't know how long that lasted. Oh, six months. Oh. Perfectly fine. So, ten of those years were pretty much chill. Cool. He kind of bought favor from the nobles everybody was pretty happy with him he was really good at cracking down on wrongdoing which people were happy to see so nice what a great king this murderer is (laughs) Hollandshed writes to be brief such were the worthy doings and princely acts of this Macbeth in the administration of the realm that if he had attained thereunto by rightful means and continued in uprightness of justice as he began till the end of his reign he might well have been numbered amongst the most noble princes that anywhere had reigned. Well, that's nice. Yeah, so, like, pretty good times. But eventually, the guilt and the concern over being murdered like Duncan starts to eat away at Macbeth. Oh. And so he starts being more cruel and being more paranoid and getting antsy-pantsy. That's as Hollandshed wrote down in his chronicles. Exactly. <laughs> and therein, fearing for his life, Macbeth did get <laughs> antsy-pantsy. So, and of course, the big focus of his paranoia was going to be Banquo and his sons. Because oh. the witches said Banquo was going to... Ah, uh, yeah. His family were going to take over. So, 
The words also of the three weird sisters would not out of his mind, which as they promised him the kingdom, so likewise they did promise it at the same time unto the posterity of Bankwell. So he invites Bankwell and his son to dinner as they were coming back to their house. He, he slew them. Um, and then they never had other children. Well, he slew Bankwell. Because it chanced yet by the benefit of the dark night that though his father were slain, the son yet by the help of almighty God, rescuing him to better fortune, escaped that danger. So his son goes to Wales and hides out there for a little while. Gotcha. So the plan was to kill them both, but only Bankwell ended up. So they fled to every other country in the British Isles. Yeah, pretty much. They all scattered and just waited. Everybody starts now to be worried about, like, well, what happens if I piss off the king? Ah, you don't want people wondering that. Yeah. And Macbeth also was pretty keen to kill people because, like, first he got rid of his perceived enemies. And then also, if he had them executed as, like, traitors, anything that was theirs got reverted back to the crown. So he got all their money. Oh, once you get a taste of that, it's hard for kings to stop. Yeah, so Macbeth also was like, I want to build a big castle on top of a hill. He wanted to build Dunsinane. Nice. Lots Um, of kings want to build big castles on hills. So, you know, but it was clearly a costly undertaking. So he basically ordered all of the thanes, the nobles, to each help build part of it. Like, fund part of this castle oh so he didn't want all of the nobles to show up and help lay some brick (laughs) he might have actually because Macduff at the last when the turn fell into Macduff Thane of Fife to build his part he sent workmen with all needful provision and commanded them to show such diligence in every behalf that no occasion might be given to the king to find fault with him but Macbeth comes up to see how the castle going and notice that Macduff isn't there. And he's mad. I mean, you hire a contractor, you expect him to be there in person. (laughs) Apparently. Or else you, if memory serves, kill their entire family? So Macbeth also this whole time is like consulting wizards and people for prophecies. So he had been told to be wary of Macduff. So he was kind of all ready to, like, get rid of Macduff. That specifically was not in the play, except that... They, they, the witches say... Uh, the- yeah, well, so... And surely hereupon had he put Macduff to death, but that a certain witch, whom he had in great trust, had told him that he should never be slain with man born of any woman nor vanquished till the wood of Bernane came to the castle of Dunsinane. And so he's like, oh, I'm good. Like, what, trees are going to get up and walk? Nice. And, you know, who wasn't born to a woman? But Macduff, anyway, is still worried about surviving. So he flees to England to go get Malcolm. But Macbeth goes to find Macduff, and Macduff's not at his castle. So Macbeth, and this is where it does deviate from the the chronicle in that in the chronicle Macbeth actively participates in killing Macduff's family. Oh, like he's there, he kills everybody in the castle. Well, 
And Macduff knew about this before he got to Malcolm, which is also a little bit different than the play. He gets to Malcolm is like, come on, man, come help win back Scotland. And Malcolm's like, I don't know. And then a messenger shows up and like, by the way, Macduff, your whole family's dead. Bye. I think that's word for word. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty good at quoting Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, so, and and I, I'm not going to go into too much detail here because frankly it's kind of boring, but um, Hollinshed details the conversation between Macduff and Malcolm. And Shakespeare followed it pretty closely. Okay. Of like, you know, Malcolm being like, no, I don't want to go. I shouldn't. I'm not going to. He and does then play he, pretty hard to get. He does, which I'm like, really, man? Oh, should I? I don't know. I mean, I'm having pretty much fun here in England. Maybe she really asked me a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. Yeah. So then, because Malcolm had become such good friends with King Edward of England, Edward sends Northumberland with 10,000 men to go to Scotland. Nice. So now, the nobles in Scotland break off into factions now. There are the people who back Malcolm, and there are the people who back Macbeth. I, I love the... And then, then the nobles in Scotland break into factions. That's very Scottish history. Well, yes, but specifically <laughs> in the Malcolm or the Macbeth camp. But, you know, they show up, they're all there. Macbeth's not worried. He has those prophecies. So, like, pfft, nothing's gonna happen to him. In So Malcolm takes part of his army. He doesn't want to be totally seen. He takes his army through the woods of Bernan. Bernane. And told him before they come out to take up the biggest branch they could and carry it in front of them to kind of hide their numbers. Okay. So Macbeth wakes up and sees the wood coming toward the castle. Which, again, does happen in the play. It was mentioned. I mean, you don't see it because, like... Yeah. You know, it's a little hard to pull off in, like, the king's court or the globe. So this is where Macbeth sees the Bernane Wood coming to Dunsinane. He's yeah. like, oh no! This is the prophecy! Still not worried because of the... No man born of a woman. Yeah. Which famously Macbeth, Macduff was torn from the womb. Well, so um, Macduff and Macbeth meet each other on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And then, so Macbeth says to Macduff, Thou traitor, what meaneth that thou shouldst thus be in vain? Follow me, that I am not appointed to be slain by any creature that is born of a woman. So Macduff is kind of like, What are you saying, crazy pants? And you're super cruel, and I'm gonna come to get you because I am even he that the wizards have told thee of, who was never born of my mother, but ripped out of her womb. And then therewithal he stepped unto him and slew him in his place. Well, there we go. And then beheaded him and brought his head to Malcolm. So the Chronicle goes on a little after Macbeth, because obviously the Chronicle continued following the kings afterwards. But a few little things here and there are mentioned in the Chronicle. But the big stuff, as you know, we saw is almost word for word from the Chronicle. Well, there we go. Almost Shakespeare was a genius who made up everything himself and had no help at all. Obviously. You know, and like, yeah, he picked and chose from a couple different places to, instead of just making like, and then 
he and Banquo killed Duncan and everybody was cool with it for 10 years. Like, uh, that's uh, yeah. not a fun play. No, he, he, <laughs> he squashed it together to make good murder story and uh, changed the words so that it sounded prettier and spookier sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he also clearly was not writing out of thin air. Yeah. So it was just interesting to me because when I went into this, I knew that a lot of it would be copied, but I was surprised how much of kind of the supernatural elements were copied, like the witches and all that. Which, again, I mean, when I sit down and really think about it, like, well, yeah, they believed in witches, so. Why not put it into history? The kind of stuff that even if I said, well, to the average person, if I said, you know, well, Macbeth is based on Holinshed's Chronicles, they're going to think, well, yeah, but he came up with the witches. And, like, you know, he did come up with Lady Macbeth, which, like, he, like, Holinshed only mentions her and, like, yeah. she urged him, you know, which Shakespeare made the super amazing character out of. But, yeah, you know, it's still he- there. It's still all there for him. He made it better. You know, because we read Shakespeare, we don't read Holinshed's Chronicles. Because you're like, what? Learn to spell, man. But anyway, the point I wanted to reach here was that Macbeth was not written. I, I would even say it was loosely based on the history of Macbeth. He wrote the history of Macbeth as it was in Holinshed's Chronicles. He just dramatized it. Okay. So he was pulling a lot from Holinshed and just made it into a coherent story. Where in Holinshed, it was kind of a dry yeah account well and it'd be like i think comparably today it would be if someone takes a history of you know the wars of the roses or you know i mean i I hesitate to say mary queen of scots but mary queen of scots they made it into a movie i haven't read the book so i don't know i know the movie deviated from truth quite a bit unlike holland shed well unlike shakespeare really Hollandshed clearly was not a totally reliable chronicler. But taking that, if if we're taking it from a position of this is truth, this is what happened, Shakespeare didn't deviate that much. Interesting. He was trying to be faithful to the historical source in a way that, you know, most movies today are not. Well, yeah, but he dramatized it. He shortened timelines. He added some scenes that, while from the history, weren't from Macbeth's history to make it more intriguing. He dramatized it. Yeah. I don't mention this to cheapen him as a writer because clearly he took one sentence about a wife and made Lady Macbeth. But if we're going to either glorify Shakespeare to an extent because like, oh, he's this lone genius because I think that does lead to people doubting that a man with a grammar school education could have written this. Which, like, go back and listen to the grammar school episode. If you haven't, he totally could have. But he's pulling from everywhere. We start to get this picture of someone who adapted. You know, he adapted the history into drama. He adapted old Italian plays or old Roman plays into his own work, into his own comedy. And to me, it doesn't cheapen him as a writer, but it makes a more realistic picture of Shakespeare that makes it more understandable how he did what he did. Interesting. And I think that's valuable. So I agree. I'm going to 
leave it there. Did you have fun learning about about Macbeth? I did have fun learning about Macbeth and the crazy history of Scottish murders. I know. I mean, I'm really just kidding. Like, I'm kind of like, well, no wonder Macbeth was paranoid about getting murdered. Everybody got murdered. I mean, yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> if I were the king of Scotland, I'd worry about getting murdered. Yeah. Even now. Even now. And thus ends another episode of Breaking Bard. Tune in next time when we will be discussing the life of Richard III and what Shakespeare may have gotten wrong. That will be uploaded two Mondays from now. If you don't want to miss that episode or any future episodes, make sure to subscribe. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star review and sharing with your friends. To keep up on all the Shakespeare fun in the meantime, hit up my blog at ripegoodscholar.com or find me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at ripegoodscholar. That's it for today, and remember, our court shall be a little academe, still and contemplative in living art. <laughs>